This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill. And we're here in the Radcast studio, powered by Bow Spider, bringing you another episode. And uh, just wanted to say a quick shout out to David and all the work he's been doing here. Uh, the studio's coming along. Looks good, man. It's been, you know, it's been a task. We poured the concrete a year ago today, and now we're actually in here, and it's our own space. We don't have to schedule it. We don't have to ask for permission. And, you know, one of these days we'll have it 100% finished, and we'll post some photos <laughs> up, but... Yeah, it's it's cool to have our own space. It's very cool, and Bow Spider's been going nuts. You guys have been shipping and doing a lot of things, so why don't you give us a quick update on that? Oh, you know, we've uh, we've struggled really hard to keep it in stock for the last year. We just keep doubling and tripling order volumes, and we're we're hiring staff and training people, and it's it's cool. It's neat to see that the problem I had is now a solution for everyone, right? When, mm-hmm. when I couldn't get my bow, now everybody else can get theirs. And it's 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 a little bigger than I ever wanted it to be, Patrick, <laughs> really. I mean, I think we got between part-time and full-timers, 11 people that report to me. And that's, you know, you, as you know, that's a little scary to be making decisions for 11 people every day. So, Well, and I remember a few years ago when you were talking about doing this that, you know, we talked about it's going to go nuts one of these days. I told you it would do that, and now it's doing it. But when we were talking about it, I was working an, an, a graveyard shift job, taking care of my kid during the day, going to school. And and in my free time, which there wasn't much of working on this harebrained idea that now I get to do every day. So I am very thankful and very blessed. Yes. Yep. And I want to tell everybody a secret. They're in stock right now. So if you want to get one, you better hurry up. Um, they've got dealer orders coming in. So those are sucking up the inventory. So if you want to buy one directly from Bow Spider, you better get on the website and get it done. We're, we're you know, elbows deep in getting it done as quick as we can. So I understand the frustration when I want to get something they're not in stock. We're trying. But, yeah, with hunting season coming, you better start thinking about if you wanted to get one of these, you want to try one, you know, wait until August 30th and saying, hey, I have a September hunt on the 6th of September. Can I get one? Probably not going to happen, guys. We're trying, yep. but... I. It, with just with machining lead times, we're having to forecast now for October, November, and it's June. Yep. So get on it. If you want to get them, go to bowspider.com, get your order placed, get that done. Um, <laughs> it would pay off if you do it now as opposed to uh, August, believe me. This podcast is going to be dedicated to all of you about some of the etiquette things you should be thinking about in the field, on the stream, wherever you're going to be. So David and I are going to jump into that and we're going to start off with hunting. So David, tell me, what are some of the do's and don'ts, especially the don'ts for hunting? The biggest one is, you know, everybody wants to scout and scouting is vital to success. I mean, you need to know where you're at, where you're, you know, especially with elk hunting, the more years you're in the same area, the the more knowledge you gain as far as, hey, these elk are normally here. If they're not here, they go here. And, you know, you find those interception points. I remember reading a study a long time ago about the Starkey, Starker Experimental Forest in Oregon. It's a 40,000 or 60,000 acres of high fence game preserve. They collar the elk and make the guys wear trackers and they just have done 20 or 30 years worth of research in there. It's really cool. One little tech tip I picked up is a person walking scares elk at like 300 yards. A truck scares elk at about an eighth or a 16th of a mile. And a ATV four-wheeler scares elk at about half or three quarters of a mile, right? So, and that's scientific proven data of, hey, this elk is right here. As a human got closer and closer and closer, depending on their mode of travel is when the elk spooked. So, you know, that leads me into scouting. And this is why I brought that up and why, you know, I think scouting is important. I, I do. But, you know, if you've got a tag for 
X and a season is open for Y, especially if, you know, if you're going elk scouting, you know, yes, elk are, are moving morning and evening, and that's quote-unquote when you want to be looking for them. But if there's an open mule deer archery season out there or an open antelope season and you're just zooming right through the prime habitat, scaring all the animals away while somebody's running around with a bow instead of a rifle, that that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves is I'm out there putting a stock on, trying to do my hunt, and here comes somebody, well, I'm a, I'm a week early, I'm just going to be out here scouting, scaring all the game for me. That's That's not right. So especially for you being a bow hunter, I mean, that's got to be really difficult. You know, you're working animals, you're working an area, and then all of a sudden, a truck drives down the highway and scares everything out of the way. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and I mean, it, a blatant, blatant one is, you know, you have anti-hunters who see somebody pursuing a game and stop and honk their horn and yell and scream, and right, and that's actually illegal. You know, interrupting a lawful hunter in the field, lawfully pursuing game, disturbing that it is against the law so don't right. don't be doing that but it's just as simple as you know you park you're walking out wherever and somebody comes up behind you and it's just being inconsiderate in, in and so if you are going to scout one of the biggest tips i have is yes i told you in the beginning of this is scouting is important but if you're scouting for a rifle season in two weeks move around midday and just go you know, you, you're welcome to be out there. It's public land. I'm not saying don't be there. I'm saying don't be scaring elk intentionally. If you if you come across elk and you know there's other hunters in the area, don't be spooking them. Well, it's kind of like that, you know, put the other person's shoes on your feet for a little bit and walk in their shoes. Because, I mean, if you're that guy who's going out scouting and you see that there's someone hunting that area or you know that it's prime time for bow hunting, <laughs> You should probably just stay away. I mean, there's just no point in going in and spoiling that. The other thing, too, it's like, you know, check and see what's open. If the bow season is open, don't be doing it early in the morning, late in the evening. You know, let people yeah, do what they got to do. Definitely go pre-scout. Definitely yeah, midday. Sure. I'm going to go hike in and check are they using this wallow and, and know where they're at. That leads me to kind of the next one, and there's this meme that's circled around that just puts a puts a perfect picture on it but there's there's like a stadium bathroom with like 20 urinals lined up right and there's <laughs> a guy in there talking about <laughs> yes using the urinal and they they put different states above it but they put opening morning and literally some come somebody comes up and uses the urinal right next to the guy there's 10 on either side of him he could use but i'm going to use the one right next to you right <laughs> that's public land hunting is i've got up early i've hiked out i'm up on this ridge maybe i'm taking a youth or my wife or we're going to go later this fall right and we're standing there. We've we've parked. We've hiked out on a ridge, and somebody walks up, stands right next to you. See anything yet? It's like you saw our tracks <laughs> in the snow. You know we're on this ridge. Why couldn't you go half a mile down and go stand on the next ridge? Right? Why are you twenty yards from behind me talking to me like everything's like we're a day in the park taking our kids for a stroll? So, and what do you what what does it mean to don't buddy up to me? Don't crowd me? You know what? If we're bow hunting. I, I want a several hundred yard distance between you and me. If we're rifle hunting, not two or 300 yards. I, I want about a thousand yards, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on weapons and capability, I can shoot three to 500 yards. I don't need you standing a hundred yards away from me. Now, if you're at the trailhead and you're at the truck, no big deal. But if you're actively pursuing game. When I'm a mile off a of any thing. road or trail and I'm up, up posted on a ridge, it's kind of, now it's public land. It's not my ridge. But there's another ridge a mile either side of me. Go to that one. Well, and that transcends hunting into fishing, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But <laughs> what, <laughs> what? So, it, you know, I guess to just kind of leave off on that one, it's like, you know, a lot of us go to the outdoors to kind of have a buffer from people anyway. And so it's a good idea to, you know, just go explore, go be, go be out there. You don't have to be right next to the other hunters. And, I mean, by all means, I... What I do a lot of times is I just pick a, a point on the compass. Let, let's talk pheasant hunting for a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. If all I do pheasant hunting, like Ocean Lake, if, if anybody listens to this, we can look at a map. They, they release birds on Ocean Lake, and there's on Wednesdays and Saturdays, every parking place has 10 trucks out there. You can't not get past people, right? And you can go out there in the afternoon after everybody hits it and still kill birds because people pass birds up. But I just pretty much pick a... I'm going to walk this patch from 
you know, north to south and just stay on that compass. And I'm headed that direction. If somebody's coming east to west and we're like going to train wrecking each other, I just hold up, let them hunt through in front of me. Right. Because if I just keep changing direction every time I run into somebody, I'm going to be doing figure eights out there pretty quick. So, and the same thing works for big game hunting. If I'm just still hunting through a patch of woods and definitely, you know, if somebody doesn't know you're there, get their attention a little bit, just, and I don't have, you know, I don't have to walk up to you if I'm 300 yards away and talk to you and tell you what I'm doing. If I'm standing there facing north and glassing north, don't hike up from the south behind me, hike over and then just start hiking through there, right? If we're big game hunting and I'm, actively hunting an area but at the same point in time if i come up behind somebody else that's maybe sitting on a rock just glass in there maybe they've fallen asleep i give them a couple little whistles and some hand signals and i just you know give me that i'm going this way have fun i don't need to come interrupt your hunt right i'm mm. i see you there i know you're there i'm gonna go completely a different direction and go a thousand yards up the drainage or 500 yards down the drainage and look off to a place they can't see right so, and sometimes you need to just go converse and say, hey, I mean, I'm going to bow hunt this drainage. Where are you going to bow hunt this evening? Well, if you're going to bow hunt this drainage, I'll go over. And most of the time, Patrick, I'm in the wilderness. I, I go there because I don't want to see people. If I see boot tracks, we've talked about this, I'm just automatically going to a different trail. And that's a good thing. <laughs> Get some time away, right? Uh, I, you know, I'm, I don't want to beat the dead horse. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's great to get up there, and I want to just be immersed in nature. And I'm okay sharing, but at the same point in time, I don't need you sitting next to me, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Now, I did meet one of my best hunting buddies. One of my other buddies and I was sitting on a wallow, middle of the day, and he came through scouting two or three days before season, and he's solo, and I was like, well, you know, we're, we can pal around together for a couple of days. And just because here's a guy a couple miles in the wilderness scouting, checking out meadows. I'm like, here's a guy that's a go-getter getting after it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's turned into I love to hunt with that guy. So I think it comes back to the value of permission, right? Like you think about it with fishing and with hunting, when you're going to share – you know, Intel, or you're going to share spots and you're going to work together. There's a big part of gaining that trust and getting that permission to kind of work together. Right. And being on the same page. Well, uh, another one on the same page is just step back for a moment. We'll get heated and get in arguments and whether it's parking spot or who's got right away or who should have this. And, you know, if we just step back a little bit, first realize everybody's out there to enjoy it. And yeah, there's some jerks out there. I, I don't recommend you be one. But, you know, I think about when I'm going up and down to some of these trailheads with my horse trailer and truck. If you're running up there and you're side by side, etiquette is you find a spot to pull over and the one loaded backs up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one loaded going downhill has right away over the one loaded going uphill, right? It just, I got no brakes. I'm going downhill with a horse trailer and four horses. Get out of my way, please. Right. You know, and so I did hit a truck head on on my dirt bike out in the woods on a little gravel road, just flying up the road. Didn't give the truck right away. Couldn't get out of the road in time. Probably shouldn't have been riding the speed I was on a busy gravel road. I was 18. Yeah, you learned. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm lucky I'm still alive. But yeah. that that is definitely one, kind of that golden rule is really treat others how you want to be treated, but also step back and just kind of analyze the situation of, like I talked on that earlier podcast of we rolled into a lake taking the youth camping, I was permitted with the Forest Service to camp at that lake in that spot. I'm not going to be able to move 500 yards around the other side of the lake legally. You, right. You're now asking me to break the law when you have two small tents and you could do that. So that's one of the big ones is just analyze it. You know, how would you feel if you're standing on that ridge waiting for daylight and somebody comes over right at daylight, right? Yep. And shoots a buck out from underneath you that maybe you didn't even see. But And sometimes what happens, one group of hunters doesn't see the other. If I come hiking through and I'm just more focused on hunting and I just don't see you, especially archery hunting, if you're standing still in camel, I may not know you're there. It may not be intentional. Sometimes it is. And, I mean, you get into more of those crowded units and it's, I mean, the difference of Alaska fishing on the Kenai Bank versus fishing on the bank on Boyson, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's pretty much nomenclature that if I'm fishing on the bank 
on Boyson, you don't come stand six feet from me. Now, if you want to be 80, 90 yards down the bank and we parked in the same area and you walk out, okay. And after 20, 30 minutes fishing, if you want to come converse with me for a minute and, and say, hey, can I come fish next to you? Or, you know what, hey, I'm just going to go on the other side of you. Is that all right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get told yes. Sometimes you get told no. And it's public land. Nobody has the right to block access to anybody. And I'm not talking about private land. I mean, the, the biggest two cents I have on private land as far as a tip and whatever is as a private landowner, I'm not, we, we have 16 acres here and I usually raise three pheasants. They're not my pheasants, but we usually harvest one of them, leave two to, to breed and have more pheasants, right? Mm-hmm. I've caught a couple people on my little 16 acres walking my fence line and shooting my pheasants, right? And yeah, I get it. They, they've either got permission from a neighbor or whatever, but they're not really paying attention and that end of my property is not posted really well. Well, in this state, it doesn't have to be. Yep. Right? So, and depend, check your local laws. Don't be breaking the law out there. That's the one of the biggest ones. And, you know, ignorance to the law is no excuse. Yeah. And I think on hunting etiquette, too, is remember what you learned in hunter safety. <laughs> I mean, you know, fair chase, those kind of things, because that's one of the things I see out in the field where people are just, wink you know ripping off shots that they shouldn't be taking for one. Oh, i've seen it where you're standing no joke standing about 700 yards with a youth going you know what we'll just wait and get a little closer and somebody literally 1100 yards behind you starts shooting over the top of you mm-hmm. at those elk and you you turn around and you're like they're 400 yards behind you like you can see us here and you're now shooting over us at those same elk yep. higher up the mountain it's like th- this competition for that resources it can turn ugly as we've seen more than once or twice so yeah just we're out there to have fun yep and to get meat but safety is the number one thing especially in hunting because a lot can go wrong really fast and so i don't know if you want to speak more to that i mean as a bow hunter especially you know in the field the safety aspect is huge it is and i mean there's a story i heard when i was a youth of guy snuck in on an elk and some guys shot from above the elk at 70, 80 yards, and he was like 40 yards below him waiting for a good shot. They missed, and they stuck a broadhead in his calf. He starts screaming like seven miles in the wilderness, and they thought they were, he was mad at him, so they took off. And the guy had to tourniquet his leg and damn near bled to death and had to crawl, mm. crawl with the broadhead sticking through his leg. So, you know, that know your target and what's behind it. Back to the, the basics of hunter safety. We all, you know, shooting at a skyline animal, just... Just don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, another one that just talk about etiquette, you know, Patrick, the beer cans. I, I'm sorry. If you're up there, you're going to have a few and drive around side by side. I'm not, I'm not one to, to tell you yay or nay, right? I'm, if you're going to go camping for the weekend and have a few, but pick them up. Yeah. Just that I can go in the woods and, almost every time bring a trash sack back out in the back of my four-wheeler. I've just riding down the road and about every quarter mile, somebody decided to toss their next beer can out and it, I don't know who's doing it. You know, the same thing with shooting signs. Mm-hmm. You know what? The, the time we've talked about this and I've beat this dead horse, know your rifle, know your equipment, go to the range, be dialed in and be ethical and lethal with it. We've talked about it. How many times going to the mountain and being like, Oh, I haven't sighted my rifle in. Here's a nice, you know, road curve sign and I'm just going to sit in my truck and lean over the mirror and make sure my gun's on, you know, driving up and down the road, hoping I see something that you're given hunting and hunters a bad name. If that's you or if that you've been taught that way, that's not driving up and down the road in a pickup, drinking beer with a loaded firearm is just not, not conducive to safety, not conducive to giving us a good image. So, you know, whoever's shooting the signs, I'll I'll buy you some some paper plates and some cardboard boxes, right? Go shoot them, pick them up, take them back to camp. It, it's same thing like when we go shoot clay pigeons. We pick up all our empty shells. We pick up the boxes. Now, I don't condone picking up the clay pigeons, but the clay pigeon box, the big cardboard box, yeah, we take that with us. Of course. And so... Yeah, it's that pack it in, pack it out. I'll pack it in, pack it out. It's, it's that simple, but you, every year we see it 
And in fishing, too. I mean, what? All the time. What do I joke about when we go? The starter pack of I Litter the Fishing <laughs> Spots is a can of energy drink, usually Red Bull or Monster. A worm container. A worm container and a cigarette Marlboro package. Every, every time. So, I mean, it, it, trans, it transitions from big game hunting, fishing, mm-hmm. whatever you're doing. One that's specific to hunting is field dressing, right? And, you know... The, the biggest two things I can say is not everybody appreciates that. And there's nothing wrong with shooting a nice mule deer right off the pack trail. You know, a mo- you're, you're hiking down the pack trail in the wilderness and here's a mule deer and you shoot him. Great. Kick the gut pile hundred, 200 yards down the hill off the trail, leaving it two feet off the side of the trail as a marker of your territory. Awesome. I'm glad you got one, but the next people from pick a state that are just going to go hike that peak are not going to appreciate that. And so, you know, having having a, a gut pile that you dispose of properly, and whether that's maybe you go out here right around home and you shoot an antelope, you know, taking and dumping it and the carcass off the shoulder of the road, that's not a great spot either. You know, get it a couple hundred, just get it out of sight. It doesn't need to be blatant in everybody's face. I'm not saying try to hide what we do or, or discourage or, or that we're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying, you know what, you your dirty laundry goes in the washing machine, not on Facebook, right? Sure, yeah. So that that is one unique to hunting is trying. And I, I do the, the gutless method. And so it does look a little, it looks like there's waste left there. But if you research it and Google it, you can get the tenderloins, the back straps, all the quarters, all the neck meat. And there's, there's I mean, yes, there's some rib meat on a big bull elk. Uh, it's, a, it's less than a gallon Ziploc bag. And when it's seven miles in, you know, and Wyoming, check your late, some states, some states yeah. you're not allowed to even field dressed, you know, and Alaska, that rib meat has to come out and I take it out. We took it out sheep hunting when I'm backpacking horseback that I'm sorry, but the elk rib meat just, it, it doesn't make great burger. It just, now if you can get an elk out whole at home, I put those ribs, I cut them with the mm-hmm. sawzall, put them on the barbecue. They're yep. great, but there's a difference between trying to cut them and backpack them out horseback and having a whole cow elk. Sure. You know. Yeah. So, you know, definitely that one is, you know, we, we talked about it, clean up after yourself, quit shooting signs, you know, pick up, just leave the campsites. I don't care if you're tent camping, RV camping, horse camping, leave that campsite cleaner than when you found it. And it doesn't take, but, you know, when we load up, whether we're loading up on horses in backpacks or in vehicles, take five minutes, have everybody there, just walk around have a little trash bag and do a 52 pickup of every little thing that's not nature. Yep. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, you know, if you talk to state parks guys, they deal with that a lot, you know, where people just leave a ton of stuff on the ground when they leave a campsite. It's like, it's not that hard to pick it up. You know, you're probably taking trash bags, throw away your trash. At least I (laughs) hope you are. So just pick them up. It's not that big of a deal. You know, finally we talked about, respecting one-way traffic on roads as a horse guy when i'm going up and down the trail especially if i've got my kid and my wife and some loaded pack horses behind me you know give us some space and kind of the same rule the one lotus the heaviest and the one loaded going downhill heavy has right away right two pack trains come against each other (laughs) it's it's not fun especially get on those mountain switchback trails but you know stepping one step off I got a pack horse that's got 16 inch or 20 inch bags hanging off each side, you know, and llamas. That is probably my, I've used llamas. Llamas are great. There's, if, if you're just new into this and you want to get into some wilderness backpacking and, you know, not, not have a ton of experience and horses are, they're a different level as, as we've talked about, and you know, mm-hmm. llamas come with little panniers, little bags. They buckle on like a backpack, like a person and they have a leash like a dog and they eat everything and they need water every two days. Llamas are, a, and there's a bunch of places that rent them. You can pull a little two, two stall horse trailer behind your midsize SUV, rent two llamas and they can carry about 70 pounds all day long. And you can get up to 90 pounds for a short distance. You can, with three llamas, you can pack a whole elk out out. So llamas are a good, a good option. Horses hate llamas. And when I've got loaded horses and kids and get those llamas, a hundred yards off the trail. I don't want to see them, smell them, hear them, but that's, it's just my two cents. I'm not trying to harp on anybody, but this is things, you know, if you're hiking up the trail and you don't know, and here comes a guy with horses with 
I've had as many as 30 behind me, but if I got 10 horses and you got two llamas, you're getting out of the way, right? Same thing backpacking. If there's a group of 10 backpackers coming towards you and you're one, don't stand in the middle trail. Get off trail, let them pass, and then you can move on your way. So, yep. Well, we can kind of transition to fishing. fishing. Yeah. I think that's, you know, and back to the golden rule on the hunting, just to wrap it all up, go back to hunter safety, check those things. Definitely don't be the, the, the beer can sign shooter, but just if it comes to an ethics situation of should I shoot this animal and somebody else is standing there, just put yourself in their shoes, right? And maybe they can't see the animal and that's fine. But if they're scoping up and they're getting ready and you look at them and say, oh, they're seeing something, then you look, oh, there's deer and you shoot it. Well, I think that's, they've already spotted it. They're already on it, right? And so finally, it does happen occasionally. If two people shot the elk, usually the rule of thumb is the one that put the vital shot. Sometimes it's the one that made the first shot, but typically I, I kind of go with, you know, and there's two situations here. One is we've got a bedded mule deer buck. I've spotted it, and we're, we're now talking more rifle, not archery, but if there's two arrows in it, there's two arrows, and the one closer to the best kill is, is the victor, right? And if that buck is bedded and I shoot and somebody else shoots when he stands up, it's kind of hard to tell. That's a really tough situation, and that's where guys get in arguments. The other one is I'm cow elk hunting, and I shoot at a cow elk on a, on a herd. The herd runs over. One of the cows stops, and somebody on their side shoots the cow elk that's standing there because it's wounded, right, and falls over. That's a little bit harder to say who hit it where and whose elk is it, right? Because they didn't know on the other side of the hill. But, you know, it's I can't say this is the definite rule. It's situation by situation mm. based. But it's definitely, it's not worth getting in a, a, a screaming match or, or shooting each other over it, right? So definitely, and, and, you know, you shoot a bull elk and it goes running down the ridge and somebody else is there and shoots it again. It happens, but typically the... The guy that put the either the first or the lethal shot in it, it's really situation dependent. And I can't sit here and say 100% of the time this is. And even in our own party a couple times, the guy out front has shot an elk and it's run back and stood next to the collar. And the collar shot him again. And it's like, no, you made the first shot on him. It was a lethal shot. He would have expired. But he was standing there. He presented a shot opportunity. I took it. And right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, maybe... And sometimes you don't know when you're archery hunting if that first guy, especially the way we elk hunt, we we don't get very far from each other because of grizzly bears. But a lot of times I can't see the guy in front of me, and you don't always know if that elk's hit or not. Sometimes it's just an elk comes running in, and you cow call and stop it. And it's like, why'd you shoot my elk? I already shot. It's like, well, I didn't know, right? I heard mm-hmm. your bow go off, but I didn't see the elk. I didn't see you. I didn't see the shot. Here was an elk that presented a shot, and so... But kind of in our own party, we've already figured it out. The guy that shot first, it's kind of his elk. Now, if he shot and missed, <laughs> that's a different story, right? It's complicated, right? It, there's complicated levels. So <laughs> tell me about fishing etiquette. Yeah, so the number one thing in my book, and everybody who's fished with me will know this. They'll be like, yeah, that's definitely Patrick right there. Is You know, when you're on a body of water, it can be a reservoir, it can be a lake, it can be a stream, a river, whatever it is. Give people room. Yeah, we talked about it. You know, you talked about the meme with the urinal. It's totally that way. Growing up in Cheyenne, (laughs) one of the best fisheries that was close was Glendo Reservoir. And anybody from Wyoming that knows Glendo Reservoir knows it is overrun with people from other states. I'm not going to say who. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Under the bus. I'm picking on you guys. I'm picking on you guys. But no, anyway, one of the things that used to drive me crazy there is that, you know, I catch a walleye off of a point and I'm. There's eight other boats out on the lake, all fishing, you know, 500 yards from each other. They could be a mile away, and I don't know if they have binoculars or what they're doing. (laughs) Fish fish radar. All of a sudden, you've got 30 boats sitting right next to you. So one of the things that I tell people is, you know, if you're on a body of water, you want to fish a spot. If you're not the first one there, that's too bad for you. You know, you can wait or you can go fish another spot. And the nice thing about most bodies of water is there's other spots. So you don't have to sit there 10 feet from somebody. This happened to us not long ago where we're fishing a spot. So my wife and I went to Keyhole. We're fishing a spot. This boat pulls up. So we're, we're on the shoreline. 
this boat pulls up because we're catching crappie right like literally got 15 feet away from me like where you're casting yeah and i'm like really guys really <laughs> like there's crappie all up and down this area like come on you know like we had to hike you know over a quarter of a mile up this rocky embankment and then down it to get to this spot and you're fishing right in our in our space so one of the things i will tell all of our listeners is be cognizant of giving people space and that's also with your boat you know if you're driving you know full speed down the reservoir don't go right next to somebody who's trolling or who is parked on the reservoir somewhere tubing be safe you know it goes back to the knowing the rules regulations like we were talking about with hunter safety it's public. I mean, it's a public lake. If I want to be out there tubing, great. But if somebody's sitting here actually actively jib- jigging, don't pull up. I mean, I'm, Patrick, I got a water ski boat and I like to wakeboard, mm. right? I love to <laughs> slalom. The kids like to tube. But if somebody's over there fishing, we go to the other side of the lake because we just need some open water. We don't need. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why I told somebody this weekend, they were joking about their jet skis. They're like, yeah, I'm going to be looking for you while you're fishing. I'm going to come harass you. I'm like, well, you know, I keep musky baits on the boat just for that. So when you go by, I can catch you as you go by. <laughs> yeah. Tell them David likes to cast and blast for you know, uh-huh. what comes to mind is when I was a kid doing the the South San AM drift boat fishing for steelhead on the, in Oregon, there'd be a ton of bankies, right? And we can get into bank fishing, but mm-hmm. re- real quick with the drift boat is, you know, don't anchor up in the hole that 10 guys are bank fishing, fish through it. And the next hole down has nobody in it, right? Fish there. Yep. Fish there. They can't move around, but at the same time, the bank fishermen, every time, if there's like a line of 15 bank fishermen, every time a drift boat comes through, you'll watch one of those bank fishermen hooks up. Because the boat moved the fish around and moved a fish into a place where he's susceptibly caught. And that 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 is fact, not fiction. So then you can say thank you as they go by. Um, <laughs> but we cast and blasted that <laughs> river. I always had the shotgun in the little uh, fish rod holder on the mm-hmm. front. And they quit throwing their lures and hitting the boat once I started packing the 12-gauge. <laughs> well, the biggest thing with that is just be respectful. Like, like I said before, put yourself in that other person's shoes. I mean, if you're... If you're on a spot and you're catching fish, you know, it's like you don't want people crowding you. So if you see somebody catching fish, you shouldn't just rush over with your boat and get within, you know, 10 feet and be like, hey, how's it going? You know, they're they're not going to be too receptive to that, and neither would you. So, Well, on the Kenai, that's a little different that's story. That's a different deal. But there's still etiquette. You know, when you're mm-hmm. when you're combat fishing, the, the guy upstream of you you know, the, the guy downstream casts and then the guy upstream of him casts and then the guy upstream and then you all drift down together and you kind of reel up and wait for that guy at the bottom of the line to cast and then nobody's casting over each other. Don't be the guy that comes in the middle. I mean, you'll have, you'll see 50 people standing and they're all kind of casting in unison and floating down and casting in unison and floating down. And then you get one guy in the middle that comes up and he's like, I don't need to dance to this rhythm, right? And then he's casting wherever and tangling up and, oh, it's... And same thing on boats on that river. It's it you catch a king, and it's like whoop, ten boats around you. Oh, I know. So that would be my number one thing: is just be respectful of space, give people room, let people do what they need to do. The second thing, and this is everyone who's listening who knows me is going to be like, "Oh, that's totally Patrick." Is be respectful of people with their spots, because in fishing, spots and information is very important. What's the first rule of fishing with Patrick? Yeah. The first rule of Fight Club is we don't talk about Fight Club, okay, guys? But no, seriously, like when you take somebody fishing and, you know, like I guess if you're invited along and a good fisherman takes you and they say, hey, this is one of my special spots, that's not something you throw up on Facebook and Instagram. It's, it's not, not something, something you go, you go back everybody. to next weekend with without right. your buddy. Exactly. So, Again, that whole permission piece, I think, is important, having an understanding before you go, because I have spots and patterns that I don't show everybody. Why? Well, because I've been burned before, you know, and it's not cool. Like, you want to show people that you want to share it with, and you know we're going to be respectful of that. But there are people who will just ruin a resource. And so that leads into this next piece, is that there are people who will absolutely destroy a fishery. You know, if you, if you get certain times a year and everybody knows this certain species, they'll be grouped up really tight. They're very susceptible to being caught. And there are people who are not ethical 
and who will keep every single fish that they catch. And they will wear out a spot. They will wear out a pattern. They will wear out a species. Don't be those people. Those people are the worst of the worst, in my opinion, in the fishing industry. People like that just need to find another hobby. Because it's very disrespectful to all the other anglers. It's disrespectful to the fisheries managers. It's disrespectful to all the people that live in that area. You know, those resources are there. They should be enjoyed, but they should be enjoyed within the parameters that have been set by that fisheries management, you know, the game and and fish here. We all want to go out and get a bag limit, right? And it's Mm -hmm. cool to be able to do that. But if you're the guy that's going out day after day after day, the same spot, same spot, same spot, and bag limit after bag limit, Pretty soon, guess what's going to happen to everybody? The bag limit's going down. And I know I harped the big game thing, right? Mm-hmm. But what came to mind while you were talking about that is waterfowling, right? Or even pheasant. I take you to one of my pheasant spots, or I take you one of my waterfowl spots, or I take you one of my big game spots. Elk. You better not be back in there the next weekend with your buddy saying, oh, yeah, we killed a big bull right here. Or you, or we got a limit of ducks right here. That's that, that respect piece, right, Patrick? If you... If you have enough confidence in me to take me fishing to one of your spots and you've spent days and hours and years on that lake learning that fishery, you know, keep that information kind of privileged. Yep. I've had, you know, and I'll, I'll say this, I am not the best angler out there. I don't even pretend to be. There are guys in this community right here in Riverton that could kick my butt up one side and down the other fishing. They're really good. They've been doing it for 30, 40 years. They've got tons of knowledge. And if they invite me to go fishing, guess how much I talk about it? Zip. It's like, and, and why is that? Well, it's because I respect the fact that those guys have spent decades decades figuring this out and they were nice enough to take me along and show me a couple of things you know that i could use and show me some you know whether it be a new rig that they use a new cadence that they use when they reel it in maybe a shelf that i didn't know was there a gravel pile but that is not something that you go be like hey i'm gonna impress all my friends on facebook and i'm gonna write you know i'm gonna write this long article on where this is at and give out gps locations like that's not what it's about Um, you know, and sometimes I will ask people, I'll be like, Hey, if, if you're willing and if you're not, that's okay. Would you mind helping me find X species? You know, and sometimes people are, and sometimes they aren't. And I don't lose respect for them if they don't share with me, you know, cause I get it. But if they do, I do reciprocate that. You know, it's like. You've heard me tell the joke a couple of times and I've heard you reciprocate this joke is, you know, when people ask me where I got an elk or when somebody asks you where you got a fish, you know, <laughs> you, you always put your finger in the corner of the mouth. And say, I got them right here Hooked in the mouth. Right in the mouth. And I always, I always point right here by my shoulder and go, got them right here. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I say, got them in the woods. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you, or, or you could say, where'd you get that fish? Well, I caught them in the water. Yeah, right? exactly. And some people ask that question and they're just naive. Right. They're just like, well, where, where do you, that's awesome. Where do you get one? Right. Mm-hmm. And I honestly have no problem sharing some spots or sure, sharing some sure. ideas or some tips, but there's also the group that's maliciously doing it. Where'd you get it so that I can go to that exact same spot. And I mean it in the hunting world, Patrick goes to, when you take a photo, they will geotag and, and look up the coordinates or look at the background. And so sometimes some of my kill photos, well, same with fishing. We, we have a really epic, really scenic thing that I'm like, no, we're going to turn around and take this and take it just out of the water. I don't want anybody to know mm-hmm. which lake, where I was at, what time of day, what time of year. You, we're just going to get a picture of the fish in the sure. boat. And I mean, and I don't want this to come off wrong because, I mean, you could listen to all that and be like, man, Patrick's a real jerk about this. No, there are people that I share a lot of information with because I trust them, right? And that's something that's earned and, you know, it takes time. I am happy to help especially kids, you know, I'm happy to help them find a spot where they can catch fish and where they're going to produce. The thing that I have a problem with is I've had people in my life be like, Hey, where'd you catch that? And then next thing you know, guys taking home one or two limits a day. And you ask them, Oh, well you told me. So I went there and there's, there are bodies of water and there are entire drainages in this state, just our state alone that are definitely underutilized. And that's what makes it so alluring to go out and fish, you know, but it takes, I I think of the high mountain lakes, you know, it takes Mm -hmm. hiking into two or three and camping overnight and fishing it to figure out this lake, this time of year with this fly is going to produce some awesome fishing. And if I'm nice enough to share that confidence, hey, go up, have a weekend at this lake 
go enjoy it. Go have fun. I'm sharing public land with you. But don't come home and put on Facebook that X Lake in the Wind River Range is producing this golden trout and take this fly. And just because other people who aren't willing to put the effort and work out to find their own spot will find that information. And like you said, they'll tell 20 people. And the next time you go on that lake, it could be five years in a row. You go up there every weekend and enjoy it, catch a few fish, you know, camp. Fishing's always great, you know. You, I, I can think of a lake right now. You and you have taken me to. I'm not naming it. It's, it's no name lake. We went and killed some nice fish and yeah. and big fish, and it was relatively easy fishing. And there wasn't, there, I think there was one group of fishermen that walked past while we were there all day. Yep. And yeah, it was, and it it was awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But why is it awesome? Because it hasn't been blabbed on social media. And people can't just <laughs> drive up here and put an X on a map and not have to do any sort of legwork. And we're not picking on any of the other states. Not not too bad anyway. As I know, they pick on Wyoming too. You know, Wyoming. They, they drivers, say it doesn't you know. exist, and we're okay with that. Yeah, Wyoming doesn't exist at all. Um, another thing that is really important about fishing is going back to something that David alluded to earlier, which is cleanliness. One of the things that you see in fishing oftentimes is people are very disrespectful as far as they throw worm containers all across the bank. So bank fishermen, pick up your line, that used line that, you know, you got a snag and you have 100 yards of line or 50 feet of line or whatever. You know what I do? You take it and you wrap it around your hand, you know, until you get a nice tight roll of it, stick it in your pocket, and then you can throw it away when you get home. Or, or take your peanut butter and jelly sandwich bag yep. and just put a little bit of trash in that bag after you ate your Super sandwich. easy, right? Or, you know, the other one I told you, you know, there's, it seems like more and more there's energy drink cans and, of course, there's always beer cans and uh, soda, soda bottles and all that stuff. Just pick that stuff up. It doesn't take that long. I was I was on Boyson, this was a few weeks ago, and there were tons of bottles floating down because we have the runoff going right now. Tons of bottles, different things, and it's like, this stuff is easy to fix. You know, if sportsmen were responsible, just picked it up. It's not that hard. Pick up after yourself. The other one that is big is if you have kids and you've ever experienced this is pick up your hooks. If you leave hooks laying on the bank or you find where someone got snagged up and you, you know, kind of toss it haphazardly, pick up those hooks. You know, you don't want a little kid stepping on it. You don't want to get snagged by it. And it's, it just makes no sense to me why anyone would want to leave that behind. Oh, as a, as a more of a water sports enthusiast, you know, I'm out there barefoot trying to go skiing and wakeboard and we're taking people on and off the beach, glass bottles, right? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm going to throw my bottles. Those are illegal by the way, here in Wyoming. Yeah. So yeah, don't take those out there. The state parks will definitely write you a ticket for that um, because it will cut you up. And it's a mess. Now, the next one, because I know we've been going for about 40 minutes here, but the next one that's really important, don't waste the resource. Now, what I mean by that is there are laws in certain states, and there is one here in Wyoming, about wanton waste. Okay, so just catching a fish, not giving a crud about it, throwing it up on the bank, don't do that. There's no reason for it. You know, there's... You know, I know growing up, that was the big thing to do with carp, right? You didn't want the carp around, so you cut their throat, throw them up on the bank, whatever. Now, I learned my lesson with that one because when I was about, I don't know, 12 years old, something like that, I was swimming in Boysen, and somebody had done that to a carp. And those of you who know carp anatomy know that they have a big barb on their back. Well, I happened to step on that thing, and it lacerated my foot really badly. It was under the water. I couldn't see it. Um, the water had just come up from the runoff and I had this huge hole in my foot. Don't do that for one safety reason, but two, it's a resource. Um, I know a lot of people hate carp, you know, but I will tell you they're great garden fertilizer. They're great for, you know, if, if you find a farmer who has a bunch of pigs, they will eat them. I mean, there's, there's ways to, you know, deal with them if you do catch them. Cause you're probably not targeting them. I think they're cool cause they fight hard, but if you're not targeting them and you want to get them out of the body of water, because like Ocean Lake right next to here, we need to get rid of a bunch of carp, at least find a good use for them because they do have some uses. There are some people that actually eat them. If you can find that person, hook them up with a big fish because usually they're 10, 12 pounds. But don't just you know throw them up on the bank. I've also seen this with northern pike. 
It's totally unacceptable. It's a game fish. They taste really good, by the way. I don't know why anyone would do that. I've seen it with walleye. Can't figure that one out. That's like the best fish in the world to eat. I've seen it with crappie. I've seen it with yellow perch. I've seen really? it with trout. It makes no sense to me. Why would you <laughs> catch that fish and just waste it? Like that is one of the most disrespectful things that you can do to a fishery. And fisheries managers can't figure that out either. It's like, why why are you doing that to the resource that's here? I mean, it just doesn't make any logical sense. So if you're one of those people, stop doing that. And I don't want this to be like negative podcast, but we really do need to bring an awareness to this. If you see someone doing it, tell them to stop. And in Wyoming, it is illegal to be throwing game fish up on the bank. Like it makes no sense whatsoever. And they can get a ticket for that. And they should, you know, and you can call your game and fish department because... That kind of behavior gives fishing a really bad name and anywhere that you're at. So, I mean, those are some of the biggest things. The other thing too, just as far as fishing etiquette goes, is when you teach kids, teach them the right way. You know, I, I see a lot of people teaching kids things that they probably shouldn't be doing. You know, case in point, go back to the things we just talked about. Oh, it's just a little bit of trash. It's no big deal. Or, oh, well, that's just a little fish and we need to get the little fish out of here. Well, if you're not abiding by the regulations, not cleaning up after yourself, you're not setting a good example. It's and so and that, it comes back to those regulations. Like I think about that Kenai River just because, mm -hmm. you know, there they want you to fillet the fish and they want that biomass in the river. But, hey, if you throw it on the bank, you're you're baiting bears then. Yeah. And, and, you know, the biggest thing is, is it needs to be thrown in fast, swift moving water. And, yeah, don't just, just fillet the fish. I mean, what we what we always did is we took clean, non-scented trash bags, took a knife down to the river. 15 minutes before the whole group is done fishing, somebody breaks out the knife, we fillet them and put them in bags. Mm -hmm. And then we go home and vacuum seal them and we're good. Yep. And the nice thing about the Kenai is oftentimes, depending on where you're fishing, they've got a table by the side there oh, that yeah. you can fillet on and you can just chuck everything else back into the water. But now I think that just to kind of get to the essence of what we want to accomplish with this podcast is really encouraging people to do it the right way and lead by example, you know, treat people with respect. Number one, two, re respecting the resource and three, respecting others. You know, I mean, it really comes down to those basic principles. And I think that we're going to be better off as a sports, you know, family, you know, whether it be hunting or fishing, if we do that, because if you show respect, people are going to show it back. If you come in with anger and animosity, it's going to get reciprocated. So, just keep those things in mind next time you're on the water, next time you're out in the, in the mountains, on the prairie, wherever you're at, and just take good care of each other. I mean, you, on an earlier podcast, I talked about taking that same group of young men horseback camping, and we pull into the horse facilities, and they're parked right on the bridgeway that goes across, and I'm like, yeah, if you're on a backpack and you're a foot wide, you can get between two cars, and they pulled in there, and there was the last parking space at the trailhead, right? You had to park like maybe a quarter mile away. Well, this one's just perfect for my Subaru, and yes, it was a Subaru. <laughs> uh, anyways, you know, it was it was a struggle to get my pack string through there, and I I was not very happy. So, you know, you wouldn't go to Walmart and park in the handicap spot up front and just run in. Oh, I'm just going to be in real quick, right? Right. And it's well, at least I wouldn't. But there are people out there that, for some reason, nobody else in the world exists, and they're more important. So, well, and I think you see the. Unfortunately, you see kind of the results of where society is going, you know, with shopping carts at Walmart and you see the same thing at the, at the river's edge, you know, and it's like, they're not proactive enough and they're too lazy to pick up after themselves. And it's like, well, you know, how do we change that? Well, it starts with us. Starts with a 25 cent tax on monster energy drinks <laughs> and, a, and a $2 tax on Marlboro cigarettes there and a $5 tax on worm <laughs> containers. <laughs> Well, hopefully it never comes to that, right? Uh, well, I don't... Uh, if we start doing it now and doing it ourselves and self-policing and self-patrolling, it never will come to that. Yep. But if everybody that buys a worm container goes out and just... If it's just littered, if Boyson is just littered with worm containers up and down, yeah, it's going to come to, hey... The, I mean, we do a roadside cleanup every year and it's it's always the same trash. And I, I think fast food restaurants and... And those energy drink and the, and and beer. the beer should pay a premium tax on <laughs> cleaning that up. So go enjoy the woods. Go have fun. We, we didn't want this to be negative. Just some <laughs> a few things to, to definitely, if you're if you're new or I want to go do this, a few things. If you're going with a mentor that's doing these things, find a new mentor. Yep. 
be respectful, have fun out there. That's why we're out there. <laughs> and let's keep it clean and, and be respectful of all of our great resources. I know in Wyoming, I want to preserve what we've got because we've got a heck of a good deal here. So anyway, I uh, just want to talk real quick about our other sponsors because we got we got going and we just kind of blew through there. But uh, PK Lures, I want to say a big shout out to them. Uh, again, recently been using the Spinajig quite a bit and a few of their other lures. If you haven't tried them yet, go to pklure.com. A lot of great options for Definitely you. Definitely have them in your tackle box while you're picking up those worm containers. That's right. And their crankbaits, a friend of mine, he, he bought a few of those and has been using them on Boyce and trolling around and doing really well. So great options. Get out there and use them. And then, you know, high mountain seasonings. When you finally catch that mm-hmm. fish, when you finally get that that duck or that pheasant or that oh, elk, um, they have everything to make it. Just there's no reason to leave it on the bank. None. They bring it home and sprinkle some high mountain seasoning, and you'll be just enjoying that. So here's your recipe of the week. This it was actually last night. I pan seared some some walleye. What I did was I put some butter in a cast iron skillet. Took some walleye, just put some of the Bayou Bass seasoning on it, pan-seared both sides, threw them in a taco with some coleslaw. Oh, man. Awesome, awesome fish tacos. You can make fish tacos really easily with that stuff, and, I mean, it is to die for. It's super good. So go to highmountainjerky.com or himtnjerky.com. And, and if you've never gone gone and procured your own fish, there's a huge difference between walking into the grocery store and saying, oh, I'm going to have tilapia today. And going out on the lake, maybe maybe you can con somebody like Patrick in to <laughs> take you to this walleye spot and get just a couple. And you come home That's and right. make your own fish tacos. There, there's no comparison. One thing we used to always do, I, I never did, you know, deep sea tuna stuff. But we would go to the dock and we would buy a tuna. And we'd go home and home can our own tuna fish. And the difference between the store-bought canned tuna and home can is it, it's, it's night and day. And tuna steaks. Holy moly, those are really good. So, yep, until next time, check us out on all of our socials on Facebook and Instagram. And we'll be back with another show here soon. 